So we are going to uh, jump back into our series called Foundational Truths, and we are in week three. And uh, uh, basically, we've been talking about maturing in the faith. One of the essential things for uh, for Christians is to mature in the faith. We don't want to stay uh, infants in the faith, but we want to grow over time. Now, we don't need to force this, but it's something that will happen naturally over time. Healthy things grow. And so when we have a healthy relationship with the Lord, we will continue to progress over time. And so we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 6. And so let's uh, reread Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, and uh, look at this list of six foundational truths. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. So by leave the elementary teachings, it doesn't mean forget about the elementary teachings. It means have those down as a foundation so that then we can go forward into greater things. So not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. So if we are to uh, to leave the elementary teaching of repentance from acts that lead to death, it means that we've got that one down. So, okay, we've reconsidered our life and we've reoriented ourselves towards God. From repentance that acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So these are those six Elementary teachings as described in Hebrews. Do these feel like elementary teachings? Kind of some interesting, deep things. Uh, and so I think it's important for us in, in the United States to understand that our faith is something that should grow and we should mature in our relationship with the Lord as the years go by. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to get to know about the kingdom of God, and our purpose inside the kingdom of God. So what God expects is for us to be growing and maturing over time and also to continue to have faith like a little child. And so we grab onto these fundamentals, we learn and grow, but we do not become jaded, we do not become cynical and calloused. We stay idealistic, but with a mature idealism. So far we've covered... Repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. So repentance from acts that lead to death, that is um, basically the thing that opens up the way for the Lord to move in our hearts is repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. When John got put in prison, Jesus preached repentance. And what is repentance? Well, there's a, there's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament when it's repent. It's basically to turn back. Uh, the word retreat could be repent. And basically it was for the nation of Israel to go back to God. So when they had strayed from God, it was turn back to God. In the Greek, in the New Testament, the word that's translated repentance is, uh, it's the word meta, which is sort of like transcendent. Meta, and then the word consider. So it's, it's to 
Rise above your life, look at yourself, and reconsider the direction of your life. To think, okay, am I, am I going the right direction? Are my thoughts, my uh, actions, my hopes and dreams, are they in line with God or are they separate from God? And then to make the decision, I will be all in with God. So choosing to go in with God is repentance. And that is the thing that opens up the way for God to move in our lives. And then faith in God. So last week we talked about faith in God. Faith is the catalyst that unlocks the power of God in your life, in the church, for the kingdom of God. Faith is the catalyst that unlocks the power of God. If the power of God is there, we need faith to access it. For example, There is power for forgiveness of sins for anyone who asks. But you must have faith in that to access that power for forgiveness. If you don't think that God is going to forgive you, and so you never ask and you don't trust in the sacrifice of Christ, then you'll go unforgiven. Completely unnecessary, because God has done everything for you to be completely forgiven. That power is there. You combine that power with faith. And then you access the promise of God. And so last week we talked about faith in God and real faith in God loves God. And I mean that real faith in God is in love with God. Real faith in God is fully convinced that God's ways are the best ways, that God is good, that his commands are there to help us, and that if we can just find God's ways and live them out, then that will bring us to abundant life. Real faith in God knows what God has promised and what he hasn't. Real faith in God is not shaken by circumstances, and real faith in God knows that when we stick with God, we will win in the end doesn't mean that every day is going to be easy, but we will win in the end. This week, we talk about instruction about baptisms. So let's pray, and we'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to just wander around and try to figure it out but you guide us by your Holy Scriptures and you guide us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, do guide us this morning. Help us to look into your word, which is living and active, and help us to see something good. Lord, each one of us is dealing with different things. We're in uh, different stages of life. We're fighting different battles. And Lord, we need a different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us right now with just what we need that we could take a step further in trusting you, believing in you, in serving you, in understanding your ways, Lord, and walking in your ways. So, Lord, bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the third one from Hebrews 6.2 is instruction about baptisms. Instruction about baptisms. So what is baptism? What does the word mean? So the word baptism basically means washing, and it is from uh, the root word to dip. So it's to immerse and wash. So you can baptize your dishes in the sink. You put them in. There you go. Now that uh, cup and dish are baptized. 
And so it's a, a immersion and a washing. And an interesting thing that we see here in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse uh, 2, it says instruction about baptisms. It's plural. It isn't instruction about baptism. It's instruction about baptisms, which is really interesting. How come it's plural? What are these baptisms? And uh, one of the interesting things, too, about baptism is it's a New Testament word. Uh, next week, we talk about the laying on of hands, and that is an Old Testament concept that's put into the New Testament. You don't see baptisms in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. And so this is a, a an interesting kind of new thing, but you do see some baptisms in the New Testament referring to Old Testament things. And so how many baptisms are there if it says instruction about baptisms? Well, in uh, going through the New Testament, there's at least five and possibly eight things that are referred to as a baptism. And so uh, we're not going to talk about all of them, but I'll try to list them if I can. You want to see if I can actually pull that off? Let's see. So we've got John's baptism, you know, the baptism of repentance. Then we've got being baptized in Jesus' name or the Great Commission baptism. We've got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've got the baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ. You've got the baptism of suffering that Jesus told James and John about. You've got the baptism for the dead, which is very bizarre at the end of uh, first or Second Corinthians. Then you've got uh, referring to Noah's flood as a baptism. And you've got referring to passing through the Red Sea as a baptism. So that's eight which, you know, and some of them maybe are the same, and there's a little bit of uh, poetic license there, I think, so to get super uh, nitpicky about it is a little tough. But this word uh, baptism here is plural in the Greek in Hebrews chapter 6, and so we are to understand about these various baptisms. And one of the things that, that is important to understand is this concept of baptism is a, a complete immersion in something, and it also indicates uh, a before and after moment. It's like passing through into something new. It's crossing a threshold in our life with God. So, for example, water baptism, John's baptism or the baptism uh in Jesus' name that we'll talk about here in just a little bit, it's a before and after thing. You know, I mean... I was baptized in my, uh, I think I was probably mid to late 20s. I don't remember exactly how old I was, probably maybe 27-ish, somewhere in there. And it's a before and after moment. You know, I mean, there's the, you were not baptized and now you are. You know, you've made that pledge in front of people to follow Christ. And that's a, a before and after moment. And so these various baptisms indicate uh, going through something into something new. So Jesus talks about the baptism of suffering. He says to James and John, who want to be one on his right and one on his left, he says, can you go through the baptism I'm to be baptized with? And they're like, oh yeah, man, we sure can. (laughs) And they had no idea what they were agreeing to because Jesus was talking about his arrest, his scourging, and his crucifixion, the baptism of suffering. And that was definitely a before and after situation. Jesus went through that, and he said to James and John, you will be baptized with the baptism. <laughs> like, okay, be careful what you wish for. 
Um, but that was one of those things. It's, it's this threshold that we go through. And as we learn, as we grow, as we mature, as we walk in the ways of God, we go through new things and we learn and grow and get into these other things. And so today we'll talk about three of these baptisms. The first one is baptism in water. Then we'll talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit and then baptism into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, we've only got a few minutes. So how far are we going to get with understanding all of these? Not real far, but I just want to make sure that you understand that there are these thresholds. There are these things, you know, it's like graduating from high school and then, you know, going on to something else. There are these thresholds that we cross in life and there are these thresholds that we cross in the spirit. And so let's look at these this morning and get an idea of basically what's going on. So the first one is baptism in water, the baptism of repentance. This was John's baptism. Uh, they did that in in the New Testament, we continue with baptism in water, but it's no longer John's baptism. You know, we don't baptize people in John the Baptist's name. Now it's Jesus' baptism, which this baptism of repentance is included in Jesus' baptism. And we see that described most effectively in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, what's called the Great Commission. So Jesus has been teaching the disciples, then he was he was tried and uh, crucified and killed. And then he rose from the dead and he appears to the disciples and talks to them at a few different occasions. Now, how much attention would you pay to somebody if they came back from the dead to talk to you? So these are important things. And this is what Jesus has to say after he's risen from the dead. Then, and among other things, but this is one of the main things. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I guess so. You're back from the dead. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations and teach them how to walk in God's ways, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is Jesus' baptism. It's a significant before and after moment. Now, at Good Hope, we do uh, water baptism in the summer because the it's easier to get completely in the water in the summer. And we don't have an indoor baptismal, so we do it outside. And it, when, when there's ice on the lakes, it's very difficult to do. Uh, and, and it's hard on people. You know, if you cut the big hole in the ice, it's, it, it'd be memorable, I suppose. It'd be a definite before and after. You could, we could combine the, this baptism and the baptism of suffering together. And yeah, that, that might work out. But, but we do the, the, full dunking of someone who's old enough to make a decision to follow Christ. And so that's the, the form that we have. And I believe it's the, it's the most biblical form. Um, but the reality is we're not trying to figure out what is the ritual form that appeases God. 
You know, that's one of the mistakes that I see religious people making is like, oh, oh, you have to say this. If you say the other, oh, that's the wrong formula. Oh, oh, it's not about the ritual form that appeases God. It's about having a right heart between you and God. That's what it's about. And I think I'm firmly convinced that uh, adult or old enough to make a decision, baptism with the full immersion fits the word, which is the dipping, the washing, and it also fits with the, uh, you know, being baptized into Christ's death and then uh, brought into newness of life, being born again. It's fantastically uh, symbolic and it's right there in Romans and it's what Jesus commanded. It's the form that they used in the New Testament. And so, That is water baptism, a baptism of repentance, a baptism of crossing from not being a disciple to being a disciple, from not wanting to know God's ways and learn God's ways and put them into practice to deciding to live your life according to God's ways. That's baptism in water. Now, Jesus himself was baptized by John, which was the baptism of repentance, baptism in water. Did Jesus need to repent? No. So why was he baptized by John? Jesus said, in order to fulfill all righteousness. And the basic idea is that Jesus was giving us an example that we should submit to this. Even Jesus himself did that. And uh, here's my question. Without getting legalistic and that sort of thing, why would someone resist being baptized? If it's something that can help us grow into something new, if it paves the way for God to move in our hearts, why not go ahead and be baptized? You know, again, let's not get legalistic, but I think it's something that makes a difference. Something really interesting in Luke chapter 7. So we'll jump back up to Luke chapter 7. Really interesting section of scripture here in parentheses. I don't know exactly how you put scripture in parentheses, but there's parentheses around this and uh, in some of the versions. And Luke 7, 29 says this, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. So why did they acknowledge that God's way was right? It says here, because they were baptized by John. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So this repentance baptism was something that opened the hearts of the people to God. And I think that same thing happens today, that when we submit ourselves to baptism, and of course it's repentance that is the significant thing, it paves the way for God to move in our lives. That's Water baptism. The second one, we're going to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And this is something that Jesus does. Now, people baptize other people in water. And that's that's how that goes. People do that. People don't baptize people in the Holy Spirit. Jesus does this. Um, You know, we can help teach about it. We can try to create environments where it would work out, that sort of thing. But it is clear that the Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of scriptures on this. And so let's look at a bunch of scriptures in rapid succession. So fasten your seatbelts. We're going to read scriptures from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. The first five books of the New Testament 
uh, all of the Gospels and the book of Acts, and let's see what uh, the stage is set up to have happen here through the scriptures. So Matthew 3.11 says, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Mark chapter 1 John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the gospel of John chapter 1, starting in 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, this is Jesus eating with them, again, after the uh, resurrection. So on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the reason I wanted to cover this is because this is not a side doctrine. This is in the scriptures more than the virgin birth. This is in the scriptures more than you must be born again. This is a core central teaching. It's in all of the gospels and it's reiterated going into the book of Acts. This is a significant teaching to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus is the one who does that. And he didn't do that while he was alive in his earthly ministry. He did that after the resurrection. And he continues to do that today. And this is a short sermon, so we're not going to be able to get into super huge depth with this. But let me tell you what the baptism in the Holy Spirit does for you. It's the thing that helps you get it. It's the thing that helps you go from learning to answer the question the right way in Sunday school to having the truth of God burning in your heart. It's the thing that helps you get it. And so to the extent that you don't get it, (laughs) you need the Holy Spirit's interaction. Now, I am firmly convinced that the Holy Spirit is working on every human being on the planet. So it isn't a yes, no. The Holy Spirit deals with unbelievers and draws them. I mean, that's very, very clear. The Holy Spirit is present with everyone, with people who don't even believe in God. But then once you believe in God, that gives the Holy Spirit more access to your life, right? Absolutely. And then there can be even greater access over time. And this baptism in the Holy Spirit is like just being drowned in the Spirit. You know, I mean, like I've heard people talk about water. You can have different experiences with water. You can drink uh A sip of water, you can walk in the rain or you can fall off the dock in the lake. Those are all different experiences with water. Water is there in all of them, but your experience is is more and more significant. And just... Let me ask that same question. 
without getting legalistic or getting all worked up over any of that stuff, why would someone reject or resist the baptism in the Holy Spirit? If it's something that's promised, if you are promised that your spirit can be just washed and immersed in the Spirit of God, wouldn't you want that? Why would anyone resist that? Now, I remember being someone who resisted that because I thought it was ridiculous. But God had a different plan for me. And he took me by force. Why would we resist? If God is there and he wants to change our hearts and help us to just get it, why wouldn't we open ourselves up and walk through that door into a new way of being? We're going to do the, let's do Acts 19. That's, we have time for that. This is fantastic. Acts 19. I think this is an interesting picture of today's church to some extent. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. There's a couple of different accounts like this. One in uh, Acts chapter 18, and then this one in Acts chapter 19. And so we'll pick this up in verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes to Ephesus, to whom he wrote the book of Ephesians. So you read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. This is Paul going to Ephesus, where that's the church that he wrote the book of Ephesians to. And he finds some disciples. So who does he find? Disciples. So are disciples believers? Yes. Are disciples wanting to walk with God? Absolutely. These are disciples described in the Bible as disciples. Verse 2. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So how much information did they have? Not a whole lot. You know, not a whole lot of information. Verse 3. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So this is, you know, the baptism of repentance. Paul said, John's baptism baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And so by baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus, I believe baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in accordance with how Jesus taught to baptize. Then verse 6. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So not exactly a huge group of people but significant enough to be able to record because there are disciples, there are believers who haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. They don't understand about the Holy Spirit. And I think that describes modern Christianity in the Western world to a fairly significant extent. We like to intellectualize our faith. We like to turn our faith into, you know, do this, do that, and then I'm doing it right and that sort of thing and make it nice and tangible. And, uh, The reality is, is that when we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, more and more, even to the extent of full immersion in the Spirit of God, then we get to a new plane where we can understand the things of God 
in a much, much more powerful way. Then the third type of baptism that we're going to talk about is baptism into the body of Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Start with verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth was already starting to see divisions, already starting to see the forming, basically, of denominations, because we see Paul say in the beginning of the book, you know, hey, there's divisions among you. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollo. Some follow Peter. Some follow Christ. They're already starting to divide based on the leaders that they prefer, and that's a disastrous, dangerous thing, and so much of First. Corinthians is dealing with the unity of the believers. And here Paul says it's just like the human body. There's lots of different parts in the human body, but uh, that's just one body. You know, it's not like my left arm isn't part of my body. It is. And, but my left arm is a lot different from my spleen. Both parts of the same body, but both very, very different. Different functions, different purposes, with different needs, lots of different parts, one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Jews or Greeks, meaning people with the spiritual pedigree and the genealogy and people without who wandered in off the street and just wondered about God and didn't know anything about it and had horrible backgrounds, Jews or Greeks, doesn't matter, slave or free. People at the bottom of the social uh, hierarchy, people at the top, doesn't matter. Whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever you've done, All of us who put our trust in God are baptized by one spirit into one body. So we all belong. Doesn't that sound good? We all belong to the same body, whoever we are. But there's something significant in that, and that is this. Belonging brings responsibility. It's good to belong, but belonging brings responsibility. We talked about my spleen earlier. There's something important that my spleen does. I don't know what that is, (laughs) because I'm not somebody who's studied that sort of thing, but I know that it's an important thing. And if it just decided that it wanted to go somewhere else, I'd have a problem. If my left arm took off and wanted to do something else, I'd have a problem. If you're a Christian, God has a plan for your life. Amen? If you're a believer, God has a plan for your life, and God's plan for your life is part of his bigger plan for the world. God's one plan for your life is part of his greater plan for human history. And that's true whether you like it or not. 
You belong to the body if you're a believer, whether you like it or not. You have a responsibility. If you belong to a family, you've got chores to do. You've got family responsibilities. If you belong to a company, you've got things to do. You've got responsibilities. If you belong to a team, you've got responsibilities to that team. Whatever you belong to brings with it responsibility. And belonging to the body of Christ is no different. There are responsibilities. Now, I have a mean thing in my notes. How are you guys feeling? Jesus loves you. Did you know that? I love you too. It's all good. But here's the deal. God has a plan for your life. His plan for you is part of his bigger plan for human history. And to refuse God's plan makes you a deserter. That's not good. In Revelation, there's a list of the types of people that get thrown in the lake of fire. You know the first category of people on that list? is the cowards. Why would the cowards get thrown in the lake of fire? Because they're the deserters. The damage they do is just the same. If my, if my lungs just took off and deserted me, I'm done. The damage is profound. We must not desert God's plan for our life. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians, the next few verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. So here he's saying that there are people who say I don't belong, but the reality is they do. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. You belong to the body, whether you like it or not. That's something I had to learn as a new believer because I did not fit in. You know, I did not. I didn't know how to talk the Christian language. You know, there's a different language in Christianity than there is in the regular world. I had to learn a whole new way of speaking. I didn't know what they were doing. Why do you stand up and sing songs? It seems like a really weird thing to do. Shouldn't we be telling other people about God? You know, but we'll sing songs together. Okay. Uh, You know, all this stuff. I just didn't understand what was going on. Why is it like this? And I didn't fit in. And one of the things that the devil put in my heart was you don't belong. You're not one of them. And the reality is it doesn't matter if I feel like I belong or not. I've been baptized into the body of Christ. And so I belong whether I want to or not. It's just whether or not I will take my position. If I don't, there will be damage done to the body of Christ. If I do, then we'll be able to move forward. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to solve the problem of Christians backing away from their responsibilities? What if we could solve that problem? And all the Christians stepped up and did God's will for their life. What would this world be like? 
I've thought for a long time we did a Christian Attila the Hun. You know what Attila the Hun did? (laughs) He took the warring barbarian tribes of uh, Eastern Europe and Central Asia. I mean, absolute barbarian tribes. He unified them. He taught them how to work together to uh, to shoot bow and arrow off of a horse. And if he hadn't died prematurely, they would have conquered the Roman Empire. He took all these warring barbarians and unified the greatest army in the world. What if the Christians could just get together and work together? We need someone who can do that. You know, uh, it's Advent season, and uh, a lot of churches light candles during Advent. One of the interesting things, you know, I didn't grow up going to church. I've never seen that. You know, it's like, not that I'm choosing not to. I've never even seen it. I don't know about that stuff. I'm in the Greek category, you know, Jews and Greeks. I'm one of the Greeks. I don't know anything about this stuff. I'm just, well, I suppose you should read the Bible in church, right? You know, I'm just trying to figure it out. Uh, Man, if all those different groups, if the coffee and jeans people and the robes and candles people could all work together, man, oh man, couldn't we get somewhere? Wouldn't that be something? I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here just a second. So we've talked about three baptisms, the baptism of repentance, the baptism in water that was John's baptism. Then it became Jesus' baptism, the baptism of saying, yes, I'm going to follow Christ, uh, you know, the water baptism. Then we talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, draw close to the Lord. And just be open and let things happen. And then the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us various gifts and abilities, empowers us to be able to serve in particular ways. And so we see kind of a progression. We see repentance, water baptism, opening us up to Jesus with Holy Spirit baptism, opening us up to the empowerment for gifts of the Spirit and the ability to serve various functions inside of God's plan. And here's my question for you. Which do you need some more of today? Do you need some more of your heart to repent? Do you need to reconsider your life and order yourself with God? Do you need some more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you need to get it when you look around? You're like, why are they singing like that? You know, I need to, I need to get it. I need more of the Holy Spirit. That's where you just get it. Do you need more of your calling? To see your calling, empowerment, to walk out your calling. What do you need more of today? Some more repentance? some more of the Holy Spirit, or some more of your calling. Let's ask God to give us just what we need. Our closing scriptures, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, says this, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I tested these verses years ago, and they're true. So let's ask, and let's receive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, that you want to grow us up and make us part of your awesome plan. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be forgiven, washed, made clean, to no longer uh, have to think about or identify with our past mistakes, but we can be completely free. Lord, if, if we need to fully repent, fully let go of the things of darkness and fully receive your forgiveness, Lord, we ask you for that. Help us to reorder our lives towards you and wash us completely clean of the past. Lord, if we need your spirit more, if we need to open ourselves to your spirit, if we need to open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, Lord, if we need to get it, Father, we ask you for your spirit. We ask you to overflow your spirit upon us. Let us receive. And Father, for those who need to step into their calling, to walk into that place in the body that you have called them to, Lord, we ask you to make a way. We ask you to open the door. We ask you, Lord, to bring us in. Father, you are good. Lord, help us as time goes by to cross these thresholds and grow and mature and apprehend the fullness of your plan. Lord, let it be. And Father, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be our strength. And Lord, that we would know your love so fully that we would be filled up We would have no leftover bitterness because your love has washed it all out. And Lord, we could love those in our lives that are difficult and hard to deal with. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.